I'm rather busy. Uh, now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. Happy Groundhog Day, everyone. Oh, my God, it is. February 2nd. And this morning, the groundhog, his shadow. We're going to go in later and, you know, put in whether he did see it or not because we're Please don't give me more work to do. <laughs> I'm not going to remember to do that. So um, these are uh, two episodes of the show. You're not a fan of them? Because I, I really I, liked these two episodes. I like the second one wheels more than the first one. I thought Ooh. the first episode was a little too flabby for me. Hmm. Okay. See, I, I really liked both these episodes, especially the whole co- – when she's at the conference table with – and this is the second episode. The conference table. Yeah, that so you're trans- proving my point. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Shut up. Um, that, that, that was an image I remembered very well, and I thought the first had a lot of really good – just in terms of performances, like especially Kate's bit at the airport when she's – Talking all excitedly, finds out about the earthquake, and she just goes into this. Uh, at the like that's some of you know the actress's you know best performances. Tara's bit where she's giving the monologue in the grocery store, like, and there's a lot of scenes where they're juggling a few conversations that I thought were very. I, I liked it from a writing and a acting perspective. Maybe structurally, it wasn't. Yeah, I think structurally it was a little weak. I think that it was definitely a very plot-heavy episode. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that I didn't like about it is that it felt like it was trying to like motor through a bunch of plot that they wanted to get out of the way to set up the rest of the season, which, you know, that happens sometimes and that's fine. But this is our normal where we've been saying this would have been better as an hour show because it, Yeah. Yeah, they, they they need to get all of these characters into some very specific places again. Um you and I knowing where this season goes, there are a few, you know, Tara especially has several major storylines that are going to happen. And, you know, we haven't even really gone into the second major one yet in this early in the season. Right. So they, they do kind of have to go very quickly. And I, yeah, I agree with you. And I also think that, that I don't really like Kate this season. I, I, I find, cause you know, I, I'm with you that her performance in, yeah. in the full fuck you finger, which we need to talk about because who, I don't even know is a half finger a thing. I've never seen that. That's how I do. So, but my thing really is that I don't, I don't like Kate. She's very manic. I'm not really sure yeah. what they're doing with her, and I kind of get it. And now, of course, now apparently she's 19. I was about to say, yeah, when did that happen? They never but... really know how old she is because uh, she was like in high school last year. There was that I mean, that line from Tara, oh, we're flying a 19-year-old to that, – that seemed like explicitly – if not a retcon, it's to establish how old she is because that is a question, especially at this point. Is are they? Is she seventeen and going to Japan? Is she legally I, an adult? I, yeah, it, I it, swear that they said she was fifteen in the first season, which is just not possible. I thought Marshall way, was fifteen in the first. No, but he's fourteen. I thought he's seventeen now. I think that they want to do different things with those kids, yeah, and, and they're aging them up because they want to do things with the kids that would not be appropriate if Marshall was fifteen. And frankly, maybe they do also realize that you know, this is probably going to be their last season. Yeah. So if they want to get these into, if they want to show these storylines, they have to do them now because they're not going to. They're not going to get a chance. Yeah, I mean the ratings had dropped precipitously yeah. by this point. So. Exactly. But yeah, but given where Charmaine is at, I mean that's a nine month period of time. That is a very uh, uh, specific. You know, they they can't 
allow too much time skipping around just because we need to see this baby happen. Right, right. Is that how long it takes for a baby? I, I don't know. A human baby. People, you're, th- so. you're, you're thinking of, but you know about Bajor in pregnancies, which I last do. five months. Yeah, so I think that, I mean, I like what they're doing with, with the altars and terror this yeah. season. I think that, that this is what integration is going to look like for her. And it's not going to be uh, 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 kind of the classic integration we saw at the end of the last, the first season when she was in the mental hospital where the woman is just herself all the time and it's yeah. sort of like, you know, different sides of her personality are coming together. It's more like Tara is essentially telling them what's up. Yeah, she's the leader of a team. You know, she's a CEO of, she's the king of the United States of Tara. Which we'll have to see what happens with that, of course, because this happens at the very end of the second seat of the second episode that we're talking about. So where that goes yeah. is, is up in the air at this point. But I do think that um, she does need to do something about this because the, I mean, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to answer because I wonder if I'm, I'm trying to talk around it because I know where the season yeah. goes and the season ends in a pretty violent place. Um, and her altars are getting more violent. I mean, I don't think, you know, T in the first episode, having that reaction to Charmaine essentially almost hitting her with the yeah. car is physically violent yeah. behavior, at least threatening, physically threatening behavior. And I mean, Charmaine's ends up having her baby a few weeks early. It could very easily have been even worse than that. Right. And and this really is, in a sense, it, it, Tara is not spiraling out of control, but she is in a very controlled descent, as it were. Yeah. And she is not doing well. And I think that everyone around her is really trying to get the hell out of there at this point. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think it's incidental that Max, uh, uh, you know, well, A, has a mother who is a hoarder, has this sort of compulsive behavior disorder. And extraordinarily agoraphobic, too. Yeah, like, it's, agoraphobic. It's, uh, th- usually I mean, they do seem to be hand in hand, but yeah. Yeah, but he's he's essentially, you know, the, the, the through line of the episode is that he goes to visit his mother and then he goes back the next episode with Marshall to clean up the, the house and... Um, you know, it is one of those things where Marshall point blank asks him if he's ever thought about leaving. Um, Kate is obviously trying to get out of there because yeah. she's trying to go to Japan. Uh, Marshall is still there, but Marshall's always going to be there because he's just that kind of kid. And as Kate and she, said in one of the episodes last week, Marshall's the glue, right? Which number one is which who must be what he's putting in his hair this season. Yeah, um, it is naturally who Marshall is, but he's also. I mean, we're going to have to talk about Gregson men loving them some crazy, but uh, yeah, I think that I, I, I what really struck me because obviously when Marshall asks Max about that he has no answer he doesn't even give him a courteous like a courtesy like no I'd never leave this family like he you can tell that this is his lowest he's been and when Tara's he's having the conversation with Tara when uh he's going to work um he says you know I'm not gonna leave because I love you and he says I love you as a fucking weapon like he is I, there was an. I remember. I think it was around the Tara and Max are and having sex arc in the first season. Yeah. Um. Where she says, "Well, all we do is just say I love you a lot, and you know we don't actually connect." And yeah, you know, with these characters saying they love each other is very comp is used again. Number one is either an empty gesture or a 
gesture of kind of holding it over her like I'm better than you because I'm not leaving you and I'm also better than my dad because I'm not leaving you and this is Max playing the martyr a bit certainly I yeah I think so and I mean I don't know there seems to be some some financial stresses going on as well I'm yeah. not really sure you know where that's coming from maybe somebody on the writing staff finally realized that you know they don't huh. live in LA and they don't have unlimited funds uh but- well you know they they Again, Max owns this company, which seems to have been doing well, especially Overland Park is is a town that, especially around this time of this series, had begun to do very well for itself in terms of you but know. It, bu- but his his business didn't seem to be doing very well. Well, well that was it. Like you seem like it seems like there's a lot of there's you know, a downturn. There's a lot of fancy lawns and fancy houses, but you know, as the Orgolon guy guy says, like our prices just can be cheaper because we are just so much bigger, and it's and didn't they really miss out on a golden opportunity to have the name of that company be Orgolon because of the little thing you put on the top of his truck? Yeah, I'm just saying Ogerlon. So yeah, and I think so, and I think that what what I find really um kind of intriguing about that is is the fact that. Max is becoming more of a character in this season than he was in the last season. Yeah. I, and I think that that was deliberate in the second season because Tara was essentially forgetting about him. You know, I, I think she was taking him for granted. Yeah. And they've tried to repair their relationship a bit. I don't think that it's anything that is irreparably damaged. But, and I don't pretend to know what it's like to be married for 20 years because, you know, yeah. 20 years ago I was 15 years old. <laughs> but, but that said, you you weren't that much younger than Tara and Max were when they got together. That is a terrifying thought. Yeah. Um, but I think the real, real, what it really comes down to is that Tara is trying to take responsibility for her own life in the only way that for her own life in the only way that she knows how. And I think that her her impulse to want to continue to go to school and things like that makes sense. I do think that there is a and it's an interesting choice for the show to make. I do think that there is a degree to which the show is saying that Tara is culpable for coddling her alters for this hmm. long. I, I don't know well, if that's. I think number one, a lot of the, a lot of the characters who are expressing their views in that way are not necessarily shown as in the right. For example, Dr. Hatteras saying that DID doesn't exist. This is just a way, you know, isn't it convenient that you happen to have your, you know, a stressful time at a time there's a test. Like, uh, let's give the man some credit. He's dealing with 19 and 20-year-olds all the time who are giving him bullshit excuses for why they can't have their papers. I mean, she and she makes this big point when she first registers for the class. I'm not just, you know, a dumb housewife who's going like, I'm being very serious about this and he's kind of making her stay with that commitment like you said you were going to actually seriously do this well you had your syllabus if you you know i he he gave her special permission to take a class after it was full up i mean well then i i yeah and i, you I know, think now we again we've lived with tara for two seasons we know to what degree that the did is quote unquote real he hasn't right and I think especially after what he's seen at the end of well, his episode. Well, that's what I was about to bring up. I mean, the, at the end of Wheels, you know, she comes out of this fugue state and where she's having this this committee meeting with all of her alters. Yeah. She's written all over her arm. She's written all over the desk. She's written on her face. And yeah. he's watched this happen. He hasn't done anything to stop it. And I think that the look on his face makes it clear at that moment uh, that he realizes that, you know, whether or not 
DID is real, quote unquote, whether or not he feels like it's some sort of, uh, you know, American exceptionalism yeah. that, that is at work here and everybody has to be special in America and this is not diagnosed outside of North America, et cetera, et cetera. But I think at that point, you know, he is a person who has had some psychological training and something's wrong. Something is wrong with her. And so. Well, because it's not a sudden thing for her. I mean, you you ha- I actually remembered that being a much more elaborate scene and it's really. I, I think it's actually fascinating how just the staging and the set decoration implies everything that's happened because what happened – what we see what happens from Tara's perspective. She transitions into this conference room, and then she transitions out with this. But she made her way to the test, grabbed a blue book, started furiously writing, probably got a second blue book. At this point, kids are leaving, and she's still writing. She starts writing on the desk. She starts writing on their arm. He's at the point where, I mean, you see the – you know, time remaining written a few times. So over the course of an hour or two hours, he suddenly realized like, oh, something's up. She's continued past everybody leaving. This may be even an hour, two hours after the test has ended. And so, yeah, it's a very, I mean, again, I remembered seeing all of that happening, but it's just suggested. It's suggested. Well, and I think the other thing to keep in mind there too, of course, is that I did not take a a hard look at what she wrote, but I did notice that there's different handwriting there. There's there's something like born to ride or something like that or ride forever on her right arm because Buck's left-handed. Well, right. Exactly. (laughs) That's what I'm saying is that she wrote down what the alters were writing in her fantasy world or whatever the hell it was. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, that, that is kind of a concrete example of, of how she is really, um, she's losing control essentially and she's getting not, not worse necessarily, but, but it's not, she's not getting any better. Well, uh, yeah. And Tara has said several times that, Oh, I'm in, I'm in control. I'm trying to control this. She's, this is after she has said, I'm, you know, this is my benevolent dictatorship from the conference. It looks like everything's okay. Tara's finally going to actually get some control and make an agreement between all of these altars. But from the view of everybody outside of her, she has gone as, as Tara says, fucking crazy from, I mean, there's the one bit when Max is trying to talk to his wife in the hospital and she's Alice now, and you can tell the frustration that, fuck, I just want to talk to Tara for 10 minutes. And yeah, and that's interesting because Charmaine does the same thing with, yeah. um, with T. Yeah. And that's what precipitates her giving birth, but that is kind of the mental breakdown where Charmaine is yelling at, Tara, at T to say, look, I, I need my sister. Don't do this right now. Well, even beforehand, when she transitions into Alice and Alice is being the perfect partner to do the baby shower with in terms of getting all these invitations out and Charmaine is saying I miss Tara I wish I wish I were doing this with her but I don't really know that yeah it's true but I don't really know that that Charmaine or Max are are incorrect in no well their, their uh reaction to this because I think that Tara is being a little slick here it's it's a very again we've had two seasons where it's making it very clear that this is a very real problem that has really made things very difficult for Tara and her family and everything else. This is something that Tara can't control. We are 100% this. She is somebody who is extraordinarily sick. And at the same time, you know, her husband, her sister, her kids deserve to have their mother with her. And it's, you know, it's a clusterfuck. They can, they, they can be just as, as unfortunate and not Tara's fault. It is that she's not been able to be properly there for her family it is unfair to them in the in that own way that they can think that it she hasn't been there. It's a clusterfuck situation. Well, well, yes and no, though. I mean, I agree with you, but I also think that the ways in which Tara and her alters have have 
uh, uh, their relationship is has been changing yeah. throughout the show. Yeah. And I think that Tara does have much more control over this now than she did in the past. I think that at least to some degree she's aware of what's going on when other alters mm-hmm. are out. There, um, not to imply that Tara herself is an alter, but you know she's lying about Buck going off and trying to find Bryce. That's she, very ambiguous. She hasn't made it clear whether she knows that or not. It's true. I think but, she. I think she knows. I think that yeah. she is having. Co- we know she's having co consciousness with these alters. Mm-hmm. She's done that with T in the second episode. She's had the whole you know uh, uh, conference room scene with them. Yeah. She's done it in other with Shoshana in the second season. I think that there is a degree to which um, Tara is not being truthful with herself and with the people around her um, exactly how much the barriers between her personalities are breaking down. And they still think that it is an older version or maybe a a less healthy version or more Mm. more unhealthy version, depending on your point of view, of her condition where – she has no idea what's going on when the alters come out. It's very involuntary. It's, it's a stress reaction. Some of that, of course, is still true. But there is a degree to which I think they're getting frustrated with Tara because on some level they think that she's lying to them. Well, yeah. And when she, I, I'm and think, she is. Yeah. I'm thinking of how she – when she returns from the study group, she says, you know, Buck wanted to come out, but I – what the exact phrase is like i pushed him down for a bit and then a couple hours later buck does appear and you're a little pissed off so you know while she isn't able to completely suppress an alter and probably in moments of extreme stress they it's much more involuntary obviously in the study group you know buck was coming out because of boredom and uh you know uncomfortability so right. she needed the alpha alter to you know appear and beat beat the shit out of everybody um yeah, she is able to have a small measure of control. I think even Alice speaks of agreements or something at one point. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, and and frankly, I don't think that um, I don't think that that Tara Tara both has more control and less control over mm. what's going on with her. And I, I think what this really comes down to, and this is where I want to move this conversation, is is talking about Charmaine's decision to to. Yeah, I mean. This is a thing that happens, of course, when people have kids. They they fundamentally change, mm-hmm. and you know, suddenly she's got this life that she's responsible for. And but she is, she seems like a different person. She seems more centered in her decision to uh, not want Tara around. She doesn't seem upset, which to me indicates that this is a real thing. Yeah, she's well, not doing this to be vindictive. She's doing this because this is what she needs to do, and and she's completely calm. Whenever she talks to Tara and says, look, yeah. I don't want you here. Yeah. And I I have to say, Charmaine is in her way extremely justified because Tara did hit her with a car. Again, it, it just happened that everything was was totally okay. But you, it's very obvious to see. I mean, we, we talk about – they talked in the first season about how – you know, Kate was burned with an iron when she was mm-hmm. a baby that T left on. Charmaine knows this. Charmaine knows everything that – happened to Tara's kids and now now that she actually sees Cassandra Wheels Kowalski um she is imagining every single bad thing that happened to Kate or Marshall happening to her daughter yeah. and yeah it, it's like she's never going to trust Tara to babysit for her um she's never going to trust Tara even yeah. to hold the baby it yeah. doesn't seem like and that's sad it's but it's sad but uh, yeah you know it's a difficult thing of course because we're not talking about someone who is you know predictably violent or or, or predictably yeah. whatever um you know Tara is definitely an okay person when she's herself yeah. but it's that unpredictability that that is really the problem here and you know I think it's a hard struggle and that's really what is at the core of the show is 
you know, when you have a, a mentally ill person um, who who does have these, let's call them outbursts, let's call them, you know, physical, you know, mentally, episodes? Uh, emotionally abusive episodes, um, and it's not under their control, is that, yeah. that's, that's, you can sympathize with that, but at the same time, you have to protect and insulate yourself from that. And of course, that's what the first season was all about. I think to some degree, that's what the second season was about. The third season seems to be them finally coming to grips with the fact that they're never going to be able to do that, yeah. and they need to get away from her. Yeah, I mean... I, I'm thinking about the line where Charmaine says, you know, what if Buck throws the baby out the window and Tara immediately says, Buck would never do that. And you be that makes you see a little bit of, yes, Buck would probably end up be, you know, loving this baby. Alice with the baby is going to be wonderful. Great. Tea with the baby. Chicken with the baby. God forbid, gimme with the baby. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, that's, and Charmaine's point is that, you know, and even though, T may not be psychotic in the, you know, stab, stab, stab view. She is. Although, a, I mean, let's not forget, she did like was playing with a knife well, in the kitchen she's a couple a, episodes ago. She's a drunk 15 year old who's making very stupid decisions with poor impulse control and unfortunately is not somebody who's going to just grow out of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, so we with. With Tara, they don't know which version of Tara they are going to get. And again, a lot of them, Max is feeling that it's unfair. He wants to have a conversation with his wife about something very major, and she isn't even there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, let's talk about um, let's talk about Max and his mother then, because I think that it was an interesting. Uh, it revealed some interesting things about Max. Yeah, and it seems to me that. In a certain sense, you could make the argument that Max is repeating repeating the same pattern of behavior from mm. his past where he left home early uh, to get away from his his mother, who is agoraphobic and, and has some sort of compulsive collecting disorder. And his father left, right? So he was getting away from, from you know, uncharitably a crazy woman. And then he gets into the situation where things are being repeated again and his children are the ones yeah. that are being yeah. driven away. And he has tried to create a more nurturing, more stable, more loving home for them. But at the end of the day, he, 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 he and his family are still living with someone who is profoundly mentally ill and that is going to affect their life. Yeah. And I mean, Think about where Max is in terms of creatively and career-wise. At least he had, for a while, his own company that he worked with his best friend, could make his own hours, you know, did his stuff. Yes, it's a lawn care service, but it's it was his. Right. At this point, he's had to sell the company because he can't compete. He's working. He doesn't even have the fucking right name on his shirt. Um, I didn't notice that. Yeah, it says uh, Greg Maxson, and I'm not sure where that comes from. But um, you know, he has to wear. He has to put an the, the Orgolon ogre on his car. He has to. You know, he had to fire fire Neil, who he knows is about to have a baby with his sister in law. You know, he he. He doesn't even have that at this point. He when he tells Tara, you know, I'm doing all of this for you, meaning fucking selling out. Because maybe if he didn't have a family, he would be able to scrape on by as he had been. Well, I mean, and here's the question too: is is if Max did leave, yeah, uh, Max would be fine. Uh, 
do you think Tara would be fine? I don't know. I don't know because I, I mean, mean there is a real codependent vibe to this this relationship. Oh yeah. Which is not surprising necessarily, but it's also something that I think the show never really grapples with, but it's definitely undercurrent. There. Yeah, it, it is definitely suggested that this isn't the healthiest thing for Max either to be staying here. But again, right now the kids are still at home, but Kate is just trying to figure out what exit to take. Well, and, and Kate wasn't at home. I mean, she was living with Charmaine until yeah. she had the baby. So, of course, she was next door. But yeah. Still. She she's she's about to move. She just needs to figure out how to do that. And Marshall's going to be at that point soon too. Again, Mac, Marshall's going to college soon. They're not going to have. I it, Marshall's actually twenty eight years old. <laughs> it depends on whatever they declare them to be. But um, yeah, w- this is a definite situation with without the kids. What is their relationship going to look like? Because. Because they have to protect the kids. I mean, yeah. that, that's what their relationship seems built on. And, and Max protects Tara as well, but... The kids also started to happen fairly quickly into their relationship. Yeah. So they really don't have a life without that. Well, and yeah, and I think that it's a perfect opportunity to segue over into talking about Kate in these two episodes because... And her bear jumper. <laughs> which is, you know... It's it's a thing of beauty. Um, <laughs> the, it, it's a very perfect costuming for her, somebody who's trying to be an adult but is still just a little kid in so many ways. And this is what's really um, heartbreaking to me about Kate is that she is someone who is very, very intelligent. She yeah. is someone who is very uh, – I don't want to say wise because she's, she's naive – but she's intelligent. She's she's mature for her age. Let's say she's intellectually and maybe socially mature in that you know she can fast talk anybody. She can get people to like her. But but she's not self aware, mm. and I think that's the key because I think that interestingly enough, Marshall is more self aware than Kate is. Yeah, Marshall. I mean, and this is a thing that happens sometimes where I think people that have to grapple with their sexuality sometimes are more self aware than people that don't have to. He knows who he is. Yeah, you already have to sort of like figure this thing out. And, and, you know, am I, am I gay? What does that mean? Who am I? What, what do I like? What are my values? You know, straight people don't necessarily have to do that. Um, not to say that they don't do it, but they do it for different reasons. Whereas Kate has never really had to grapple with yeah. that. And she's lived in this house, which has been very, very chaotic to use a, you know, um, charitable term, I think. But, but I look at her in these two episodes and she is desperate yeah. to get out of this situation. Yeah. She is, she is desperate to get out of Kansas. She is on that phone. She's basically having a, 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 a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And or an emotional breakdown or something. She's yelling into the phone, get me out of here, get me out of here. Not not in so many words, but that's essentially the meaning of her words. And to me, that's the most heartbreaking part of, of these two episodes because Kate wants to get out of there so badly, she doesn't realize it. No one else realizes it. She doesn't know why she wants to get out of there, but she does. And that indicates to me that she is much more emotionally damaged by the, the her, her situation than, than she realizes. See, now one of my things that we've always been saying, Kate just kind of does... Kate goes from thing to thing, and she 100% dives the fuck into it, whether that's working at Barnaby's or going to Osaka. Um, and... She and all of those have been accompanied with costume changes in their way, uh, which makes me realize that in many ways she is much more like her mother than 
perhaps she realizes she isn't too. doing this out of mental illness. She's just doing this because she's young. But that's how one explores an identity as far as Kate's concerned. You put on a different outfit and you do something completely different that you've never done before. Yeah. And if it turns out to not be the thing you want to do, you step back and you do something else. And, you know, the – so her and this other flight attendant uh, and this flight attendant that she meets who you know is gorgeous and confident knows who exactly who she is and what she meets Kate and she says oh I was you when I was your age she we know exactly she probably had a very similar teenagerhood to Kate uh in that she tried a lot of different things she never really figured out who she was and then eventually she's 10 15 years older than her she figured her shit out she works as a flight attendant, but as she says, she gets to see the world. She gets to kind of do what she wants, and for her, this is the life that works for her. What Kate does is she mopes around that, oh my god, I'm not as cool and confident as her, and immediately decides the way to do that is to become a flight attendant herself, not realizing that those 10 to 15 years of confusion and trying out shit is how this flight attendant got to be so cool and confident, because she did see a lot of shit in her days. She... She need, Kate just needs more worldly experience, you know? Well, Kate needs therapy. That's what <laughs> Kate needs. And, That's and I, true. I'm surprised, actually, now that you mention it, that the kids have never been to a therapist themselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know why they haven't been. Yeah. I mean, that's what really gets me about it is like, yeah, Kate certainly – I don't think Kate is irreparably damaged no. or anything like that. But she is definitely dealing with some emotional pain that she is not realizing that she has. Well, I'm even simply and, thinking of stuff like, you know, Alateine for, you know, pe- people who are family whose family members are alcoholics. Like, or, yeah, it, it is a difficult thing to go through this. They need somebody who can help them. Well, and, outside. And, yeah. and, and in a certain sense, I think – Marshall and Kate were their support now. Yeah. You know, they they supported each other. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it is, you know, I, again, I think that's why Kate is so insistent about getting out of here. You know, she, she has some stuff that's going on with her that, that it it goes deeper than she's 19 and she wants to try on identity. Yes. You know, she's got this thing going on that she has emotionally damaged her and she needs to get the fuck out of here. Mm. Um, I don't know where that's going to go, but we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, I tried to look up Niigata to figure out what exactly the flight attendants thing of what's a Niigata. Hopefully, a uh, qu- uh, a life lesson and a bullet train back to Tokyo is what she said. From what I could see, it's an agricultural city, so I get the sense that maybe she means just it's a fucking boondock. Like it's not very exciting. Like Kate's going to be bored out of her mind there. This is somebody. Who- Essentially, she's going to the St. Louis. Of yeah, exactly. Japan. Like. The flight attendant can tell, like, this girl wants wants the light. If she wants to go somewhere, it would be Tokyo, where there's all these people to meet and all these adventures to have. There's none of that there. Of course, take, Kate takes it to mean it's the most crime-ridden city in Japan, and she's going to be hacked up and murdered. So, <laughs> But, you know, that that's very clear that Kate wants to get out so desperately, but not self-aware she it's very obvious she knows all of this is a terrible idea mm-hmm. but she can't quite admit that because she doesn't have her next step yeah yeah i think so yeah. I, I don't know what her next step is but we'll find out i suppose well it's a flight attendant's application from <laughs> ray who writes haikus i'm glad that ray didn't hit on her no i'm glad that ray is just a little uh, amusedly unimpressed by her yeah He's seen it all. They're going to be good friends. Ray is a wise kid. <laughs> well, well, he isn't if he has that haircut. Uh, well, like you know, it's Kansas in the early part of the decade. What do you want? 
what's I'm trying to think about how to get into Marshall's storyline because it's <laughs> not really much of one. I mean, I, I think that it's it was an interesting choice for the show to, to leave Lionel out of the first episode. You know, he has that interaction with his grandmother where she's like, you're a gay, aren't you? <laughs> um, it's like Christmas every day now. Well, we can unpack that. Let's unpack that. I do. I do say I do want to say before we unpack that, though, that I loved her Christmas room. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's gorgeous. Listeners, you may not know this, (laughs) but I am a huge fan of kitschy Christmas stuff. That essentially is what Eric's apartment looks like. That is not true. Oh, at Christmas. Yeah. If you wanted it to. If if you had unlimited time and 20 years to collect shit, you would have a Christmas room. Like if you had an unused room in your house, there would be a Christmas room. Yeah, I'll, I, that's that's fine. I'm not arguing with you at all. <laughs> I think that's accurate. There's a line that Max has where he's talking about the duck present, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Marshall says, "I can." Max says, "I can just see it." My dad came down, saw that, knew what it was, and left. Yeah, which suggests that the father left on or very close to Christmas, mm-hmm. and so, and obviously one of the reasons that. You know, Ma Gregson, who, you know, let's give Frances Conroy a little shout out right now because I love her. Oh, she's great. Um, And Ma Gregson obviously didn't bother to take down the Christmas decorations because her husband just left her. And then that became her source of comfort. And it's a very sad thing. Like Christmas, I think the way I think the way Marshall is using that is very fucking sad because he's just. Realize the degree to which he and Lionel may not be compatible because Lionel wants to have three ways. Right. Well, I think that, I mean, the, the, it's like Christmas every day line is interesting to me because of course Christmas every day would be horrible. Mm. <laughs> and, and I, I don't know to what level, uh, uh, Marshall is just trying to say something because he's in that room and he's in an uncomfortable conversation that he doesn't really want to be in. And he's making a few, Marshall's getting a lot more snide this he's, year. Yeah, he's but... getting a lot more snide partially of course, because he's hanging out with Lionel mm-hmm. and that's just what you're going to do. But this is right after he told her, you know, I don't know batteries or Jesus as, as how they make the tree move right and and so for me that that line is oh it's like christmas every day you know could indicate that marshall has some residual feelings about you know what it is to be gay because he's not exactly happy (laughs) with his relationship with lionel and you know christmas every day again would not be great it would be commonplace and boring and probably kind of horrible and so frankly holding christmas every day which is what she does is a sign of uh her mental illness so it's i'm not implying that marshall thinks that that being a homosexual is a mental illness but you know it's it's a dark lie we live in trump's america now so maybe that will change again i'm not really sure how to feel about their awkward threesome and i'm not really sure i guess it i i mean damn it i had to wait till i was 19 to have my first threesome but um i mean i guess they're 15 16 so you know, well, there's, there's that line where it smelled like semen in his house. So I assume everything, semen, everything yeah. got finished. But it was not a good well, Lionel is doing this because he's fucking bored. He's complaining that they don't have the right kind of liquor that he can. Lionel wants to get drunk. Lionel wants to have some terrible furtive teenage sex. Lionel is the kind of person who is so sad that he's looking to get out of it through decadence. And right. for. And for Marshall, he – 
I feel like turning sex into decadence is the opposite of what Mar is the opposite of what Marshall wants. Marshall is yeah. not afraid of his sexuality, but he's a he doesn't want to turn it into you know pervy teenage time. It's well, it's not fun in the way it would be for Lionel or this other kid. Well, the other kid doesn't look like he's having a very good time either, frankly. Ha- but I, I think that – have we seen him before? I think. Yes, he was in the film class. Oh, okay. He was the one who was being their uh, – the, the Indian manservant in the movie. Right. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I feel like you know this, is a, this has been a through line all throughout Lionel and Marshall's relationship, as, yeah. as brief as it has been, of course, because you know Marshall is the one who wants to be boyfriends. Marshall, you know, Lionel says, yeah. oh, it's just a word. Like, love is just a word. You know, he's very anti all this stuff, and he's very anti-romance. And at the same time, he wants it, and he feels very conflicted by that. Whereas Marshall is, I think, much more upfront about the fact that he wants romance, yeah. and he wants love and affection and, and all these things. And you're right that that this is a fundamental incompatibility with yeah. them. I think Lionel is just he's he's damaged in a very different way than Marshall is. It doesn't seem like he has a very good home life. His parents yeah. don't seem very interested in what he's doing or where he is or anything like that. Uh, do you get the sense that uh, Lionel's family has money because of the way he brandishes the credit card and buys the camera pretty easily? It's possible. Which would also it's, it's also possible that he stole that credit card. That's 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 true too. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, and I don't know if we ever really find out anything about Lionel's family, but it, it, it is that kind of thing where you can see where this is already going to go. Yeah, and also like, see, I, 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 I think that romance and group sex can coexist. I've known plenty of couples where you know both guys are just have sex as a hobby and so enjoy having sex with other people, and for them it's a bonding thing. And Lionel is again taking this. This sounds so boring. Well, you you and Marshall would do very well together. Um, but no, it's true. For Marshall, sex is just about the bonding between the two and opening it up. Right. You know, damaging that bond. It almost seems like again, given the way that Lionel wants to throw himself into debauchery, is fucking sad for a sixteen-year-old to be at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, he doesn't really have anything else in his life. It yeah. doesn't seem like, except for Marshall at this point. And yeah. And he doesn't really... I mean, there's certainly some self-destruction there. He is... Lionel knows full well Marshall is not going to be into this and not going to enjoy it. I mean, it, 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 why in his right mind... It's a little he, cruel, frankly. Yeah, but yeah, he's... But then again, we are dealing with 16-year-olds who don't have a firm grasp of emotional IQ, so it's not that surprising. Again, it's it's if Marshall was or if Lionel was still pulling this stuff when he was 40, no. that would be a lot worse. All of these situations are slowly going to explode and there's nothing that can kind of be done about them and things are just spiraling. It's very the season has just much more tragedy in it. Yeah, yeah. It is actually, you're right. I mean, this we're only four episodes in, and it really does feel a lot darker this season yeah. than the show has gotten before. And Tara, and Tara in the middle of it saying, I'm doing the best I am. I'm doing something for myself, finally. I'm going back to school. And let's also talk about, very briefly, going back to school at a time where your business is doing really your one source of income is doing really poorly and you have to sell the company to 
your rival. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, college isn't cheap, even if this is a. I mean, this isn't a community college; it's an actual college, I believe. Yeah, it looks like. She's I, a, I don't know. I, I realize that's State. a little disparaging towards community college, and I, 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 I don't mean those remarks quite that way. But you know what I mean. Like this is a university. They're on the record, and you can never run for office now, Richard. Well, I won't be able to because we'll be dead in a few years. <laughs> yeah, that that's actually a good point. And I think it's a good place to leave this episode. Do you like the name Cassandra Wheels Kowalski? I love it. I like that they make it very clear that Wheels legally has the quotation marks around it. Of course it would. <laughs> Why wouldn't it? I think it's great. And I love how proud Neil is. Like, he's adorable. Yeah, Neil's, Neil's turning into a good character. Yeah. You know, there, there's not a lot to say about him. He's just kind of there. Neil is he's your supportive. typical slacker guy who has a baby and has to get his shit together. But... He, Again, Patton Oswalt plays him very charmingly. He's a likable dude. He is a likable dude. He and may think, not. Yeah, I think he would like that description of himself. Mm. Yeah, he's probably the most state. He's one of the more stable characters in the, in the show, and the more, I guess, decent human being characters. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, if you have any thoughts on Neil or anything else we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of Tuning In at TuningInShow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow, which coincidentally enough also supports our other podcast, Truckabout. Uh, We're talking uh, next week about the DS9 episodes, Bada Bing, Bada Bang. Oh, no. And I can never pronounce this. I think it's Latin. In the, oh, God, Inter Arma Enum Silent Legus or something. I don't know. It's gibberish. I think Latin is phonetic. Sure. I'll go with that. But you can say, Bada-bing! social media, we're on it. Tuning in, show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for tuning in. It helps us very much, and we love you, and it makes us feel wonderful, warm, and loved. Next week is a doozy. We've oh. only got four podcasts left, eight episodes of United States of Terra, and then we'll be done and moving on to our next show, which we have already picked out. I know what it is. We've got a very elaborate plan for it. We do. You're going to just have to wait four more weeks to find out what it is, but I think you'll be excited. And at this point, we'll know whether, and it, and because it's Groundhog Day, at the time we start our next show, it won't be winter anymore. There you go. Because he saw his shadow. So remember when I said that the show was getting kind of wacky in its episode titles? Yeah. Well, next week we have Dr. Hatteras's Miracle Elixir, and the road to hell is paved with breast intentions. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. That, that, that's, that's I think we just should just go now. Great. We're just, we're just going to go. Have a good night, everybody. Mac, why do you...